we go about and how do we approach this this thing right um, and uh, and and I would say that I've I've had chats here and there with people that I know it's a little bit more uh, it's, it's, this thing has gripped them more or it's more important for them and I want to say that I've not picked that up amongst us so I'm not aiming that at us I'm just saying I think in general this could be an issue that I find I do think that media I do think that the world tries to predominantly pick sides and cause people to work against one another and so that the church can almost translate that God is an Israelite and the devil is a Palestinian. And God is, you know, Israeli and the devil is Palestinian. And that it caused the subtle sort of um, racism and that type of things. That we don't want to find, um, you know, that's, that's not at all the heart of the gospel. And not what all should be with us. You know, I... Um, actually, Sunday, the, the, the attacks, for those of you who don't know, happened on Saturday. I spoke to Aaron on Sunday, right? Aaron's theory, actually, right now. I think so. Because it's hard for her. So, so one of Aaron's friends, I don't even know the latest update on it, but I spoke to her on Sunday. Aaron's friend, she was in a Zoom com. She's in a, in a group of international um, believers, like a group that's connected some way. And they, they have every Sunday, they have like the community of every once a month, they have community, which is over Zoom. And uh, one of the girls that's on this comp is, mar is, she's married to South African, but she's Palestinian. And she and her husband live in Germany, and her marriage visa didn't work out, or the, everything wasn't sorted out. So she had to go back to Gaza a month ago, and she hasn't been able to go out, not knowing that the war is going to break out. And she's on the border, she's on the border of Israel, and she's in there now. She's a, she's a sister in the Lord, you know, and we've got brothers and sisters in Jesus in both sides, and our hearts go out to both sides, right? This is interesting, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking, what's, I mean, can you, what's going to bring, and if, I mean, I know for some of you it's just like unaware even what is speaking now, but what's going to bring peace? Oh, it's even got a little bit of a ring to it. What's going to bring peace? in the Middle East. <laughs> What's going to bring peace in the Middle East? Look, I, I mean, I, I, it's amazing how our, our politicians is sitting with hands in hair, the UN, every group in the world is finding a way, and it is just impossible to find peace. It's impossible. I mean, I, I can say to you that billions has been given to the wrong hands in order to bring peace. That didn't work out at all. But taking that money from them is also not going to bring peace. <laughs> you know, there is peace that will be fine in the wall of separation, <laughs> which was said to us in Ephesians 2, that will bring peace between two parties. Can you imagine? <sighs> Can you imagine the declaration? I know when we speak, let them be one as we are one, as something that we take for a local church context and so on. But can you think the worldwide phenomena, if there is truly unity in Jew, between Jew, Gentile, as a Jew, Palestinian, and the, the wall of separation has truly been broken and peace is found, that will be a miracle upon miracles found in the Lord. The other thing that I want to say on this is, you know, and, and, and again, if, if you don't believe what I'm believing, I think it's fine. I think we can still walk together um, unless you do not believe Jesus is the peace, right? There, there, there it becomes difficult. And I, I think now in, in some of these things, it's able to still walk together, right? Um, but... You know, one of the things when Jesus was on the earth, Jesus came to the earth when Israel was under Roman rule. And um, the, the question and the awaiting of the Messiah was to restore Israel, the, the, the kingdom of Israel, to its place. And every time they came to Jesus, that was, you the Messiah, come on, man, set us free. Take up the arms. Do what you need to do. And I'm afraid that we are, that we are slipping into that same spirit at times. And Jesus, every time, refused. They even dared to make him king. And he said, no, 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 no. My kingdom is not from this earth. 
My kingdom is from above. And he refused to get involved with that type of affairs ever. And then, this is the last question, guys. This is the last question. This is the last time Jesus spoke recordedly. It's after Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It's actually in Acts 1. We get Jesus one more time. And I mean, can you imagine the disciples? They've kind of been beaten every time. Listen, I'm not going to make a natural war here. I'm not going to take up this battle that all of Israel is expecting me to do. I'm not going to do that. And then the disciples takes one last chance. And they've been, uh, they've been kind of battered a couple of times by Jesus. How long do I still need to be with you? Luckily, he was on his way out. So it must maybe, it, 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 it was a little bit more easier. And they came to him and they said, when are you going to restore Israel? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now again, he does not, he does not respond by going, are you stupid? How many times must I still tell you I come for a heavenly kingdom and not an earthly one? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that to them. Meaning, giving an indication that there is still something on God's heart. And he says, it is not for me to know. It's not for you to determine. It is something that God will work out in his time and in his work. But you, then he gives them the commission. But you. I tell you, God's going to do it. I think God's going to do it. I mean, it was off everybody's radar and he's busy doing it. God's going to do it. But you, you go to Jerusalem. Wait upon me and I will pour out my Holy Spirit on you. You'll get full with the Spirit. And then you go out and be witnesses of me, Jesus, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Can I ask us? <laughs> That's a question. When is he going to restore? Well, I don't know. <laughs> some, some might know better than me. Maybe I'm just stupid. But some knows better. But I, I, I don't. But I think we can stay true to Jesus' commission. But you, get filled with the Spirit. Get empowered. And go out and be witnesses of Him in Jerusalem. Meaning Stellenbosch, by the way. <laughs> the Winelands, South Africa, and the ends of the earth. And God will do what God needs to do. Now, I... Um, I, I didn't know last week when I was preparing, I was actually um, speaking about, we spoke about people being in the desert on their way to the promised land. <laughs> and actually, right now, there is a battle for the promised land, the natural promised land. There is a battle for the promised land. It's a massive battle, right? It's a massive battle. I mean, I mean just look at the natural at that battle. Jeez. There is no battle on the face of the earth like that battle. I mean, Yuck spoke the other day. It's like, how can such a little piece of land that's so much attraction of the whole world? <laughs> if that land is in some ways just a type of the promised land that God wants to take you to, there's a battle, guys. <laughs> there's a battle for you to get into what God wants you to go into. There is a battle. So, <laughs> it was a sigh. Oh, this, uh, <laughs> a battle again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hebrews 4. I quickly want to read from us verse 8. For if Joshua, if Joshua, Joshua take people into the promised land, right? If Joshua had given them rest, if Joshua gave them to the ultimate place. Meaning, rest is, I'm done. It's finished. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive it's such a contradiction, guys. It's, you, know, you know, it's like that verse in, I think it's Romans 15. The God of peace 
will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The God of peace will soon win the war. It just doesn't seem to, uh, it seems a little bit ironic. Therefore, be diligent, strife, fight to enter into that rest. Strife. There's a battle concerning it. Let us therefore strive to enter that race, that which the promised land was a type of, but ultimately Christ will lay out and make available for every believer. Let us therefore strive to enter that race so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience that caused Israel in many instances not to take hold of what God has for them. They were out of Egypt, as I said last week. They were no longer in the world. They were children of God, but they did not enter into the fullness of what God has. Let us not fall short of that same disobedience, of that same snag, and enter in. So, I've, I've, uh, um, I've considered the, um, the desert, and there's... <laughs> It's, it's been long, it's been long there, 40 years, and certain things that cause Israel to fall short. And there's five things that I see directly mentioned as reasons why they didn't, didn't enter into the promises of God. Five, all right? So, all of these five, I just want to say, in the natural, in the church, in brothers and sisters, when the guys struggle with that, they don't enter into the promised land. All right, so my observation. First one is, well, you guys are going to love this one, is rebellion. Rebellion does not cause people to enter into the promised land. All right, the first one is in Numbers 12. Now, I, I, I want to um, say this. Um, Moses, was, Moses was leading God's people into the promised land, and Moses had a core team. Moses was a family man, so his core team was his brother and his sister, all right? That was his core team. He discussed everything with them. They were kind of the guys that helped him. Now, his core team, his core leadership comes to him and says, Miriam and, Aza, and, and, <laughs> Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Now, Moses was not married to a Jewish lady. He was not true in that sense. He was married to a Cushite woman, right? Now, I want to say to you guys, in the quest of following and walking with God's people, you're going to have to follow leaders that you will be able to find a crack in. And you're going to get some state see a crack at a leader, and you're going to go like, no, he's not married to a Cushite woman. Maybe a Japanese woman, but <laughs> but you will find a crack that in your mind will disqualify that person to lead you and will discredit the voice that that person has in your life. And let me say, our eyes are seeking. Our eyes are seeking for the crack. Our eyes are seeking to find a reason to justify not following. I found the crack. <laughs> and Aaron and Miriam has found the crack. You're not a true breed in even marrying a Jewish woman. This is an unequal yoke, if ever. And therefore, I will not follow you anymore. Or at least you lose your weight in uh, the, the, the effect in my life. We'll see leaders, oh, and we'll see cracks in their past. They've got this issue, that issue, they did that. And somehow, in the right time, it will come forward to us, and we'll go like, ah, you see? He used to do this. He does this. He does this. I will not follow him. Now, they were so blunt, they spoke it to Moses. Now, listen to that. And then they said, has the Lord, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Oof, look guys, if you ever want to hear a rebellious statement, this is it. Does, the Lord, does he think that the Lord only speaks through him? Does he think that the Lord doesn't speak to me as well? Do you think you're the only one that can hear the voice of God? Now, guys, I, we, we believe 
in a new covenant. We believe that even there, God, can, God speaks to everybody. God has a relationship with everybody. All of you here can hear God. Shepherd speaks, sheep listen. All of us can hear. We all in that sense equal. But in the context of a group, God will speak to some and he won't speak to others. And I've heard many times that God, you know, it's, uh, um, I'll, I'll give you guys an, an, an example. We'll, we'll say Mary is a pretty holy woman. <laughs> she was chosen by God. I mean, it's like chosen. It's like, uh, I mean, she was observed, I think. Going, she's a godly woman, and God spoke to her. I mean, <laughs> you got pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that counts for something, you know? Angels appears. The day, and you guys can check in the Bible, the day that Joseph and Mary got married, God never spoke to Mary again. He only spoke to Joseph concerning them. And Joseph from that side one was the one receiving from God and giving direction to the family. Can you imagine Mary go like, Joseph, I mean, you want to tell me? The one chosen by God, set apart. I mean, who's carried Jesus? <laughs> she had a lot of credits there. I felt like Joseph was pretty low on the credit list, right? And yet, in the order of God, he decided to have it like that, right? It's just, Mary could have gone like, you think God only speaks to you? And I just say that's a common thing, what we do in, in rebellion. Verse 3, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now, I know everybody's laughing because Moses has written this, all right? He's written the numbers, and he just writes that he's the most humble people on the, person on the face of the earth, all right? <laughs> but let's, let's just believe now that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that. <laughs> we need to give the whole portion and give credit to God, uh, even though the writer is uh, the guy that said that. So... Um, you know, it's interesting, and, and you guys will see how it follow. Um, an accusation, I'm just saying that's an a, a general accusation towards leadership and keeps people from following. I'm, I say leadership to authority is this. Who does he think he is? Is he trying to exalt himself above us? Now, I tell you, probably the number one accusation that will come and will prevent you to follow is, that guy's pride, I'm not following him. He thinks he's better than us. Now, it's interesting, and I've been wondering why did Moses feel the need to put it in there. But do you know, the accusation that went to Moses multiple times was that he is prideful, that he thinks he's better than everybody else. That was the accusation against Moses. You'll see now, I'll, I'll, it's just after that, the next tier of leaders are also going to accuse him. And that's what they're going to accuse him. You're prideful. Moses was the most humble person on the face of the earth, according to his own admission. But even that, as the most meekest person and humble person on the face of the earth, when he was leading, the enemy got it in the people's heart that he's prideful and he's exalting himself above others. Don't you tell me that you've never felt that accusation towards leadership. I have. So prideful. I don't say it that loud, but who does he think he is? Right. Now, in number 16, verse 1 to 3. Now, num now, uh, uh, Rebellion is a very funny thing, guys. If you, think, if you think the flu is contagious, you must see COVID. If you think COVID is contagious, you should see rebellion. It spreads like wildfire. And this thing spread through the camp like crazy. So first, only two, Aaron and Miriam. And just four chapters on, 
we have like the wider circle of leadership that has an issue with Moses. Now, Korah, the son of Esar, son of Koach, son of Levi. Oh, man. Okay, he had lots of people and names, sons and all that. Verse 2. <laughs> and, they, and they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses, against Aaron, and said to them, You have gone too far, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? See the accusation that they give there to Moses? Now, I'm not going to give you the rest of the story. This goes on to verse 4. Uh, to verse 40, but ultimately what Korah is saying, he's saying, Moses, I've observed you, and I've observed myself, and I've seen you do a lot of things, and I'm not doing so much things, and in my observation, I think I can do just as much as you can, and who do you think to do all the stuff? I can also do, I want to do some big decisions as well, you put me here on the smallest stuff, I want to do the big stuff, I can do it, I've seen you, I've seen myself, I can do it. You know what Moses said? I'm just saying, Kideos to Moses, then Moses doesn't go like, no, 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 I'm the man of God. You shall listen. No, he doesn't say that. This is like, well, that might be true. Let's ask God. Now that's that's uh, um, it, it, it was one of those instances like, well, maybe, maybe it's true. And I don't want to stand before God. If you should lead us, then you should lead us, and I will step back. And so they went before God. They ask God, okay, God, what should happen here? So God says very kindly, can all the people that stand next to Korah please remove themselves? All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to say it's like fleeing Gaza. It's like, all right. Since everybody is away from Korah and his family now, and those 250 people in their family, the earth opened up, swallowed them all in, and closed them down. God wiped them out. God wiped them out. They, if, if you were wondering, they did not enter into the promised land. <laughs> <laughs> then in chapter, in verse 40, that I put the verse up, I use it later, right? Eh? But in, in so, so it's, it's, numbers, it's, it's Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron, Numbers 16, Koran and 250 of the wider leaders that comes. Chapter, verse 40, verse 40 to verse 50. Verse 40 to verse 50, the whole of Israel is offended with Moses. It, it started with two people. Four chapters later, it's 250 people. A few verses on, it's the whole of Israel. That thing spread like wildfire. And rebellion was in the camp. Now, we will look later on and how these guys have responded in that and what was their rebellion. But it kept that whole generation from not entering into the promised land. Let me just say this. Moses didn't enter into the promised land. Moses was the leader. He was a very good leader. I look at Moses and I think like, oh God, don't judge me like Moses. I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm gone now. I'm gone. Right? But Moses, I'm just saying, Moses had this instance where, um, <clears throat> look, they, they messed up a lot. He left them for 40 days to go up the mountain and pray. When he comes down, they're worshiping a different God. They're worshiping golden calf. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like, How? And even he's busy getting the Ten Commandments up there. I mean, it's like you see fire, you see lightning, you see all those up there, and you go like, 40 days, this is too long, and let's look, make a golden calf. I mean. and, and, and some stage, and I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate, I don't lead a type of people like that, right? No genuine. But I tell you, sometimes in leadership, you feel like you go around the same mountain. And sometimes, sometimes in, in, in my tiredness, I found with me, sometimes in my tiredness, 
I don't lead the situation anymore, but I snap. Just, just do that, man. Just, and you just cut. And you just, he, dropped the, he dropped the Ten Commandments on them. And the other instances is they're moaning again. He just hit the rock. It's like, <clears throat> you, 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 I'm just saying that sometimes my battle is like not walking out a situation, not, not hearing the Lord, and out of frustration just leave. Just get a shortcut. Just get this thing done. <coughs> Moses didn't enter into the promised land. He was, a, he was an incredible guy. Incredible. And so I'm, 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 I'm throwing it out here. This is cutting both ways to all of us. Let us lead and follow well. All right? I have, and I'm, I, I'm honest if I say that, people that struggle with rebellion, I have not seen enter into the promised land. And I've seen very, very gifted people. Very gifted people. That has a lot of anointing, but they could not follow. And can I give you guys the ultimate the ultimate rebellious line that is slivering and hiding in the church and it's being set out with so much bravado and so much pride, but it smells of rebellion. I can submit to God, but not to man. Ooh. That is, that is, we submit. Can I just first say, we submit to authority. <laughs> and all authority is coming from God. Sometimes it reflects itself and very seldom directly through God. But most of the time, the same God of the same authority reflects it through people. It is for me to say, I can love God, but I can't love people. How can you say you can submit to God that you can't even see that is not going to go like, hey, what are you doing? How can you say to me, you can submit to me, you can't submit to man, which you can see and which you can experience? It's exactly the same category for me. And much of a super spiritual mask is hiding religion and saying, I can submit to God, but not to man. It's all authority, whether it's directly from God or via man. All right. It's a bit, little bit more quiet than I thought here. So the next point is, is grumbling. <laughs> is grumbling. Okay, guys. Give you guys a few verses here. Exodus 16, verse 2 to 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against uh, and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread of the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Uh, Numbers 14, 27 to 32. How long? This is God speaking. This is God speaking. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. You, your dead body, shall fall in the wilderness, and, and of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upwards, who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Yephnan, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones who you said would become prey, I will bring in, and they shall know that the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness. <laughs> Number 1641. It's all of Israel now. This is still after that. But on the next day, all of the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Yeah. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians, just a new, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 9 to 10. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Can I say, guys, again, I have not seen a grumbler enter into the fullness of God. Now, and I want to make a distinction here 
I want to make a distinction here. Saki preached the preached earlier this year. I thought it was really awesome. And he said there's a difference between lamenting before God. Now, what is lamenting before God? God desires us to be vulnerable and honest before Him. God desires us to come to Him and says, God, it is difficult what I'm going through. Right? It's a place where we are vulnerable. It's a place where we are crying out to Him. I'm not speaking of that. I'm speaking of a moaning and a complaining and a criticalness that's always upon us. Always finding reason to point and uh, uh, um, deflect criticism and faults on other people and other things. Very little trying to take responsibility for your own life. I want to say, you know, even, even in, in a church context, you know, I know, I know, as with Israel, grumbling is, it's part of the deal. It's, uh, it's fashion. It's what we do sometimes. We like, go home and you just like grumble about, um, grumble about the mic stand that was too much to the left. I mean, it's just incredible. We can find fault about, about many things, right? Now, Listen here, we want to be at a place that we can always improve, that we want to be accountable, that we want to help ourselves to go further. I'm not saying here that there shouldn't be accountability and that we will help one another to grow in the Lord, that we'll show if there is some, some sort of mistakes. This is how I find the difference between someone that keeps somebody accountable in love before God and a grumbler. If someone is 100% for me and for the people and for what God is doing amongst us, gladly, come and keep us accountable. I am afraid that we're going to miss what God is doing. We must be careful for that. Oh, I'm hearing. I want to uh, just, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of it now. A couple of weeks ago, someone had a dream and was uh, about our worship. I, I'm just, I want us to see this journey a little bit. Someone was wanting to step out and say, there's an issue. I feel God is speaking to us about worship. And there is something that we are allowing in our worship that is not true in God. And we, can I say, I, I, I want the judgments of God. I, God, judge me. I'm, I'm like, please. And if you have to use your people to judge me, please. <laughs> I don't want to be ignorant about our issues. Please, God. And if someone give a dream of someone God has spoken for, if someone points out something that is not in line with God, I'm like, please. They pointed that out, and we repented of certain things, and we put certain things in place where we felt God has pointed out. If you guys are honest, in the last two months, I think it's about two months, worship has changed amongst us. There's something of the life of God in our worship. It's like we have repented, we have shifted, and God has pitched up. Right? Of course I want that. And that's true, and that's what we want in the body, and we invite that. But I'm speaking of a grumbling behind that is no intent to see us going more. And many times are not willing to come public with it. And just so discord, and just so negativity. That's something different. We understand. It's as far as the east is from the west. Right? That thing there. On a grumbler. No, no promised land there. All right, next one. Whew, guys, I'm laboring here, okay? At least uh, no one is grumbling outwardly, but I don't know. All right. Okay. Which one shall I do now? Okay, let's do this. Golden calf Christianity. All right. Now. When the, people, when the people saw that Moses delayed, this is, Moses went up for 40 days. Is this a fast for 40 days? I think it was without water. Was it without water? Do you know? It was without water. It was a dry fast for 40 days. He's up on the, up on the mountain having time with God, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. This is, this is a pretty big moment. It's that and the cross. That's as big as it is in human history, all right? So, well, debatable. 
So when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to them, Up, make us God who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the eyes of your ears, ears of your wives, <laughs> your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a, with, uh, with a craving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods. I think some are singular. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I mean, listen here. This is not the God of golden calf. This is not, this is the God, this is our God, the God that took us out of Egypt. This, you see this golden calf? This is our God. This is the one that took us out of Egypt. They're not acknowledging that this is a different God necessarily. They just fashioned him now according to how they would like him to be. And they still call him the same God. I, I, I want to say, guys, we have... We, we must be careful that we fall into golden calf Christianity and fashion a God according to our desires and the way we want Him to fit into our day and age. The God that brought us out of Egypt, the God that sent us Jesus, the God that gave us the Scriptures is the same today. He has not shifted and bended according to our culture and our preferences of our day. I'm telling you guys, there is a massive onslaught on the role of a woman. You guys know that. There is a massive onslaught on that. There's a massive onslaught on gender. There's a massive onslaught on gender roles. And there's a push from our culture. And the church is subtly bending in and bending God. The same God. This is Jesus. This is the same God. And we bend him in to become culturally appropriate. And we bend him in to fit into our society. We bend him in that he makes sense to everybody. But our God will not change and will not bend. In fact... The ones that needs to bend is us. Our difficulty to bend. We can't reflect on God. If something is going to bend, it is, it is us. <laughs> the second thing that I want to say on this is, you know, if we, if we serve God for a long time, we know the ropes. We know the things that's going on. We know what to say and we know what to do. But somehow, somehow we've neglected to go up the mountain and spend time with God. And our God is the same God that led us out of Egypt. And we know all those things. But He's a dead God. He's a religious God. It's a mere tradition. But the living power and the living life is gone. There's a form, but the reality of up the mountain is gone. You that have served God for longer than two, three years, that know the ropes, are you still up on the mountain? Or if you substitute the mountain where God is for a golden calf, yes, he lead us out of Egypt, but it's dead. I've got history with him. I've got a testimony of seven years ago. <laughs> but our living God spits out testimonies every day as we walk with him. It's living and alive. We can't substitute the mountain for the golden calf. All right.
Two more, guys. We will enter into this promised land. Two more. So, um, this is the thing that Israel did. Is at some stage, and you guys would have heard this accusation. They said, in the middle of the desert, they said, kind of think of it as we consider the promised land. Something of the promised land has lost its appeal. And kind of think of it. Egypt wasn't that bad. Now, remember when you just got saved. I remember when I just got saved. I remember when I tasted eternity. I remember when I tasted Jesus and I realized all the drugs and all the things that I ever done does not compare with him. I remember when I realized finally I found the answer. It was before I had the ministry, before I had a calling. All that I had was Him. And I was thinking, the thing that I want to give myself for my whole life is to get to know Him and to walk in all that He has. I was burning for that. I had, can I say, I had ambition for that. I wake up every morning when I was in that time, and I'm thinking, I want to discover Him more. I found the treasure. And I was willing to sell everything to buy the field that that treasure is in. You know, in the meanwhile, ministry came, the church came. Some days I wonder if I still have the same ambition. I think the treasure has lost, it's lost its power. Look, I mean, I will buy that land, but maybe can we make it a small land? <laughs> I just want a little bit of savings. I don't know if I can give all. Oh, I have ambition in God. But many times it's connected to ministry and influence. My ambition to purely know Him as my sole objective has faded. When Egypt was in, when Israel was in the middle of the desert, suddenly the promised land has lost its appeal. I want to ask, is the treasure still burning as it used to? Is the sacrifice to lose it all to buy that field so that I can have the treasure it's still there? You know, it's amazing, guys. It's amazing. How Egypt just subtly, subtly, subtly brings its appeal back. When we are in our darkest moments and when we are in the desert, suddenly Egypt doesn't sound so bad as it used to. I remember when I was, uh, um, before I got saved, I was at a, a, a drug-filled life. I used to party like mad. I lived for a party. And I remember I would be high, high on drugs. And to be honest, I had a really good time. I felt like amazing. I was flying. It was so great. And in that moment, a thought came up in my mind. And I'm thinking, the devil is maybe not so bad as everybody makes him out. I mean, if he's the guy behind his drugs, it's a pretty good job that he's doing here. And then the next day, when I face the reality of my life and I feel awful, you know what I did? I go, oh, God, I thought you loved me. Where are you, God? It's amazing how we do that, right? It's amazing when we are in this journey of God taking us to fullness and everything with it, that suddenly the devil just brings his appeal right back. Egypt wasn't that bad. Remember when we just are able to remember, we think back of the world and we cut out all the nonsense and we just, or all the tough times and we just remember those, oh, the world wasn't that bad. Oh, the devil will do that. The devil is waiting for that treasure to get dumb and then he can remind you of Egypt. You might not really run back all the way to Egypt, but you're just kind of hovering and the passion, the passion to find everything to go into the promise has just waned down. I want to ask, guys. Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, one thing I do. One thing I do, I leave what is behind me behind and I stretch forward to that which Christ has taken hold of me. A while ago, 
a while ago, I was, uh, me and Ock was on the farm, I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys the story, me and Ock was on the farm, and we had a massive fight, right, um, that sometimes happens, we had a massive fight, and um, I thought to myself, she is so unreasonable, I cannot, I mean, look, I don't even want to go into what I was thinking, but I'm like, if they can be just, give me just 1% of logic in this argument, just give me one millibyte of justice in the way that you reason this out, but there is, at least in my perspective, zero here. And I, <laughs> and I walk away, you know, that's, that's guy's way of they can't win the fight anymore. You know, it's just walking away, right? So I'm walking away. <laughs> Women's mouths are just quicker, you know. By my third, I mean, she's giving the first argument and then I'm, 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 I'm starting to get my thoughts together and she's already give five other arguments in, you know. I just like, which one should I know? I'm just like, at some stage I just give up. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm losing. Right? And I surrendered. So, I, um, I, I, I walk around and then I, I decided to have a little bit of a Bible study. And I, uh, I opened up at Galatians 4, Galatians 5. I think I have it here. Galatians, Galatians 5. Verse 14, it says, for the whole world, I was like opening up here, I'm reading, I think it is my, my Bible study for the day, so I, first verse, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor or even your wife as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. <laughs> I sit there and I realize, Naku is occupying my mind here. I'm like, I'm walking and I'm going through this injustice in my mind and this fight, and I'm, she's just sitting there. Like, it's un- you can't do zoos. And at some stage, I realize she's consuming my mind. I mean, when that verse comes, like, bah. And Paul says, do not allow anybody to consume you. I've seen people, oh, I've forgiven you, I've forgiven you, I've forgiven you. But I look into your mind and he's consumed by that thing and that person. Now, I was consumed by that person. <laughs> but there's events in our lives that has happened that was, can I say it, very, very unfair. Injustice has happened to you. Many things has happened to you. And... The enemy has got it right to consume your mind with that. I want to, it, it, it was a revelation to me. It was a revelation of what I allow in my mind and what to consume me. I will not. And, and, and I know, we, I've forgiven, I've forgiven. But I know she still consumed me. The injustice, I still try to work right here in my mind. It's like, and then I'm like, I'm not going to allow her to consume me anymore. I'm not going to allow this thing to be in my mind, to consume me. What's consuming you? What's consuming you? What's that event? What's that time that's consume you? I'm telling you, if this is always like this, and I'm not trying to, 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 to bring justice to the situation. It's injustice. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. It was injustice, I'm telling you. <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is that I was not, I had to be free and not be consumed. Paul could say this. Can you imagine what Paul has went through in his life? It's like one thing I do. Guys, not that I've, I'm not in the, I'm not in the fullness yet. I'm not in the promised land yet. But one thing I do. I will not do this. I will not look back at that decision. I would not look back at that injustice. I would not look back at that person. I would not go back there. I would not allow it to touch this mind. It will not consume me. That was his fight and that was his battle. And because Paul could be free, one thing I do, I leave behind me. Paul walked in freedom and can run ahead. Consume people, don't enter into the promised land.
Boom. Last one, guys. <laughs> Hebrews 3, verse 16 to 18. For what were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose body fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter the rest, but to those who were disobedient? Right? So Paul makes interchangeably disobedience and unbelief. Now, I'm going to do a quick, quick exercise here. I want to have Rudy as the word of God. Can you quickly stand up for us? Stand for us there. Emma will be great with this exercise. I know she will. Emma is circumstances. <laughs> Matt, will you be? You will be the the humble. <laughs> Matt's a little bit <laughs> How do you say your surname again? Silberbauer. Ah, all right. <laughs> all right. So, so, this is the Word of God. Now, um, you know that the Word of God and circumstances will sometimes speak different things. You won't believe it. Yeah, that will happen. In fact, that happens all the time. The Word says one thing, circumstances is completely something different. Now, the follower of Jesus, we're going to ask him to do the, the, the following thing. He needs to keep his eyes on circumstances at all costs, yet... <laughs> yet, he needs to follow the Word of God. All right? So I need you guys to make it difficult for him. I, no, no, no. He must look at you and follow him. <laughs> you must look at her and follow him. Look at circumstances, follow the word of God. <laughs> All right. You, you know, he shouldn't look at you. You should deceive him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you guys, I hope you guys get the point here. Well, uh, um, you guys, that's, that's good, you guys. Right? It, it, it is, the point is, um, it is very difficult, or let's just say, it's impossible to keep our eyes on circumstances and yet follow the Word of God. There is a temptation to draw us on circumstances. Now, of course, of now, um, you know, I had a, uh, uh, one, of, one of my favorite worship leaders had a song where he, he, he made this analogy. He observed uh, a vineyard or something, and he saw a scarecrow. And he saw a scarecrow, and he saw a bird on the scarecrow. And then, obviously... The, but it was the only bird, all the other birds was obviously gone. And then he thought by himself, he thought by himself, if I was a wise bird, I would have clicked that where the treasure is, there's the scarecrow. Why on earth will there be a scarecrow if there's nothing to scare me off? And if I'm a wise bird, I will seek out the scarecrow's because I know the treasure will be there. If I'm a foolish bird, if I'm a foolish bird, I get scared at the scarecrow without thinking and fly away. Now, can I tell you where the promise is there will be the scarecrow? There where the enemy is trying to cause fear is where God is. Now, I, I, I actually preached about this in Muscle Bay, and um, um, 
Koos and Tani Trader was there. So I just want to say, Koos and Tani Trader, we, we, three years ago, Koos and Tani Trader was in Mossel Bay, nicely settled in in the congregation there, Hart and Bos, which is like, I mean, that's like the ultimate, it's the ultimate retirement place. I mean, that, that's, that, that's the Afrikaner resting place. Hartenbos. They've stayed there for many years. Many friends there were settled. It was great. And then God started working and tugging in their heart that they should come to Stellenbosch. Hartenbos. If you're their age, I mean, that is like heaven. It's like, the, it's seamless from there to heaven. It's... <laughs> But Stellenbosch at that stage, all that you know, it's a bunch of young people. It's a hustle and a bustle. It's a completely different thing. And as older people, they don't know. They don't know people. They don't know the young people here. How do they get to know them? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the, the, the dauntingness of coming there? But somehow, if it's so daunting for them to stay away from that place... They had to trust God and believe God. Can you imagine? I'm thinking it. Can you imagine if Kors and Trida stayed in Hartenbos? We would have not been the same. This church will not be the church that it is. These people here will not be the people that we are unless Kors and Trida have decided to face their fears and come here. Now, I mean... Uh, um, look, I, I, I find them like, if you look at just those five points that, I, that I've mentioned there, Kursen Trader's doing pretty well in those five, in the positive side. <laughs> so, um, a, a little while ago, um, Rodney prophesied over them, and he said to them, I see the spirit of Caleb on you, right? You know, Caleb is the two of the three million that went into the promised land. And Caleb at the age of 80, when all the young guys were like, ah, it's like saying, listen, I'm as fresh as ever. Give me the mountain. I'm taking out that promised land. A little while ago, two Sundays ago, Umkurs came to me. But in, in the silence, in the secret, he says to me, listen, I'm considering to go to Russia. I'm like, no problem. Just one little hiccup. I'm going to get two knee replacements in the meanwhile. I'm the wrong guy to ask. You know, I'm like, no worries, no worries. I thought so. Great, right? So later on, I'm, uh, I'm saying to Tani Tara, oh, I'm hearing you guys are going to Russia. She said, no, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> he couldn't speak to the spy. He need to speak to the right person. So... There's, there's, there's something that I want to say. A people that's foolish and run away from scarecrows don't enter into the promised land. Promised land people have learned that Christianity is running from scarecrow to scarecrow. That's Christianity. From every place that God asks for you, there will be a scarecrow. And there will be something to intimidate you. If you are stupid, you're running away from scarecrow to scarecrow. You're never going to get anywhere in God. God is where you have to face your fears. God is where the giants is. Giants are. And when, when Israel went and had to face the promised land and they saw the giants, they're like, we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And Joshua and Caleb stood up. Don't you remember what God said? I don't care who they look like. God said, let's run and take that hill. Let's run and take that city. All right? So, be like Umkurs and Tani Trader. So, Yandre says to, be, to me the other day, you know, Umkurs and Tani Trader, they've always run hard. I mean, there's no complaints. I mean, I, I, I can't complain about their commitment. I mean, it's like, they're running. 
Yandre says to me, you know, ever since that word from Rodney, they were always running hard, but now they're running really hard. I don't know that there was an extra gear, but they found that extra gear. They're ready to take that hill. How awesome. How awesome privilege to have a couple like that. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray for the Spirit. Um, Come pray for us for the Spirit of Caleb. He's walking like this because he just had his one knee replaced. Okay? One down, one to go, right? <laughs> This is going to be difficult. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jesus. You are such a good God. Thank you this morning for just showing us how many weaknesses, blind spots we have. And we want to come and confess and say, forgive us. And help us just to strive to follow you and to, to be led by you. We love you, Jesus. And we just, want to, we just want to be in your will and to do whatever you want us to do. But we can only do that if we rely upon you totally and wholeheartedly. Not to be swayed by our own understanding, our own shortcomings. And we thank you for that. Thank you for speaking to us so clearly, so loudly. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.